0: Welcome to Optimist in Progress with me, Tom Johnston, founder of Optimist Drinks, and Dr. Drea Letamendi, clinical psychologist and well-being strategist. Hello, Drea.
1: Hi, Tom. It's nice to be here with you. How are you?
0: Good, thanks. Good. Good to see you again. This episode, we thought we'd pick up on some of the conversations that we've had and some particular themes that we've had over this season, season two of Optimist in Progress. And... We're going to call this an insight episode because every now and again in the conversations that we have, people are amazingly candid and I just hear an insight or I hear a conversation that changes how I see things and it's what I love about the conversations and it's great to have time to just reflect on some of those things.
1: I agree. Uh, There are so many different gems and just even everyday tools and uh, comments that our guests have had that inspired me to think about things differently or even change my behavior ever so slightly. And this moment we have to integrate what we've learned and maybe even think about how it applies to our lives is is absolutely crucial.
0: So one of the conversations that we had this season was with Uh, entrepreneur and inspiring character Tony Kim, who created his own line of superhero-inspired fashion wear. And Tony grew up in Texas, but his parents were first-generation immigrants from South Korea. And he had a really interesting term for describing how he saw his identity coming from um, a different place, to most of his schoolmates, looking completely different from his entire graduating class. I think he said he he's in the biggest graduating class in Texas. And he used the term third culture. And I'd love to look into that a little more because I think identity, as we come back out of our isolation and reintegrate, is something that I li- a lot of people are questioning and where they feel comfortable with their identity, where they feel kind of alien. I've certainly had the experience of feeling really alien in settings that I used to feel very comfortable in pre-pandemic. And so I think this idea of being kind of third culture or seeing yourself as sometimes an insider, sometimes an outsider, is something that I'm fascinated with. So I'd love to pick up on that. Could you explain a little bit about what Tony meant by that and what you know about it?
1: Third culture is a construct that's been known about for some time at at the social, psychological, and even political areas. This is a term that generally means growing up as a child with a different culture than what your parents grew up in or or were raised in. And so I think a lot of us can relate to that experience. Um, Originally, third culture kids referred to, in most part, the kids of families that would go to international uh, residencies and stay in different countries and uh, these young kids would grow to learn about diverse communities and um, be multilingual multicultural uh, but ultimately share this idea of third culture that that they are different than the kids around them and that even you know their parents might have a different upbringing than they did so there's this sense of uniqueness but also a sense of Loneliness to that experience, mm. and it's unique to that. The more broad term about third cultures, I think, is likely very relatable for people right now. Just as you said, the sense of maybe growing up at a time, like I think about a lot of young people right now growing up at a time that is very different than the way that their own parents grew up. This pandemic has really introduced a different type of lifestyle and experience and losses that I think young people have endured, all of us have endured, but young people have endured as a part of their upbringing. And that can be particularly, um, you know, meaningful to them in different ways, but also can lend some insight to us around this concept of a third culture.
0: And so the first culture is the one of your family, the second culture is the one that you're in, and then you kind of feel as as if you identify as kind of or you see yourself, in this kind of third culture way you feel like you're somehow not all of one or other of those but you're kind of a mixture and then some other stuff is that is that that's great yeah
1: and that other stuff is not even really describable it's kind of how we fill in the gaps how we um, and, and speaking for myself as a, as a child of immigrants, mixed race person, um, you know, my experience growing up in the U.S. is different than my parents upbringing uh, when they were growing up in South America. And yet the way that I see my world is different than maybe children from different backgrounds who didn't have this uh, immigration experience that my family did. So that other stuff, that, that uh, mixed identity Peace is a huge part of development and, and uh, psychological growth. You know, how do we find belongingness? How do we see ourselves as um, being included? And then also, um, how do we really harness and champion differences and diversity in a way that brings collective strength? I think that's where that other stuff that you mentioned could be like absolutely um, helpful to the community at large.
0: So there's tons of pressure, particularly when you're young, to feel like conforming or being part of a particular tribe is a real advantage. But are there other times when being third culture, being a slight outsider is, is an advantage?
1: For sure. Being an insider and an outsider offers a perspective that is somewhat sophisticated, right? So you kind of learn the attitudes and behaviors in, in the in group, and you realize what's really valued um, by most of society, but you also uh, learn how to straddle the in between. And I think that ability to be hybrid, that ability to be fluid in your identity and be comfortable with different environments and and be flexible, you know, just be able to, to move with cultures and and to be just um, able to perceive cultural diversity in positive ways and not see them as barriers is is really a, a perspective that uh, could be a, a part of this kind of strength-based uh, attitude.
0: And Tony talked about the, his being third culture as being one of the things that sparked his love of the comic book universe. So the Marvel and the DC Narratives, and he he said in particular Superman for him, who was who was definitely third culture, who was whose parents lived somewhere else, he came to a different planet. I, I wonder if actually seeing that play out, seeing the rise and rise of of DC and Marvel films and narratives, one of the reasons why they might be resonating is because a lot of people are feeling like this.
1: They are. There's something about these fantastical, supernatural stories, these superhero stories that have the, I don't know, the history, the myths, um, the the narratives that a lot of people are drawn to. It's relating to these characters who are both insiders and outsiders. It's relating to characters who are uh, at first seemingly powerful, but then have this kryptonite or have this vulnerability or weakness, which is a, a human trait. And these stories have become, as you said, more and more impactful, more visible, and uh, more a part of our mainstream culture. And there's something to that. You know, there might be some willingness for more and more people to see these narratives as a mirror to our own experiences in some way. I mean, it's fun, it's humorous, it's delightful, it's out there, it's usually intergalactic or. Um, supernatural in in its storytelling, certainly those aren't things that we we know too well, but the people who are involved in these stories are just like us.
0: And when you talk about, um, previously when you talk about, you know, belonging to more than one culture and being able to kind of dip in and out, that perspective that you get from doing that, what's the advantage? Is it because you're, are you able to kind of question assumptions, see things that you might identify with and opt out of the ones that you don't? What, what What's the help of having the kind of additional perspective?
1: Well, certainly perspective taking is a psychological strength that gives us the ability to problem solve. Um, it actually helps us use empathy and compassion more. We're able to put ourselves in other people's shoes. Uh, we're able to diversify our, our own skill set. There's different ways in which um, the brain can handle the complexity of different environments, the structures, the relationships, the things that we see. And um, those are experiences actually that third culture kids have that give them um, such a repertoire of emotional and social Abilities and features that um, that can make them very successful as adults. So there's there's lots of positives here. I, I should also mention the concept of not seeing yourself in your community. So when the third culture experience is so isolating, the term mm-hmm. for that is psychic disequilibrium. So psychic disequilibrium basically means a writer Adrian Rich talks about this, and and she says it's basically like looking into a mirror and seeing nothing. So you're sort of interacting with and participating in a culture that doesn't acknowledge you. It's it's quite uh, challenging, right? So that can happen in very extreme examples. And it's something we should think about, especially with young people who might be navigating this post-COVID uh, era and looking for that sense of belongingness.
0: I think that's uh, fascinating. And I think it also... For me, the, the kind of positive from that is that there might actually be, if you're having a sense of not belonging in a place, there actually might be a benefit of it. There might be some real good that can come of it. And, and it's okay to not feel like you're completely fitting in in one area or another of your life. Um, but actually, by by having, by triangulating, by having a few other, few pockets of areas where you, Feel a bit of identity. It's working for you in some ways, and you're able to kind of put them together like a tapestry. That may actually be better than just trying to find one zone where you're completely at home, because you're kind of aggregating all these things. That seems like a really different and kind of positive way to look at um, finding the right place and finding the right things for you to do. Be it the workplace, be it something you're doing with your spare time, be it with friendship groups.
1: Absolutely. And this concept that transformation and flexibility, those are strengths, right? The, the idea that those can be strengths in a community um, can be incredibly essential in this next part of this pandemic, right? This concept of knowing we may need to shift our attitudes and behaviors, knowing we may need to uh, reflect on and even transform some of our structures in order to come out of this more uh, in more healthy ways. So you know frankly the folks, those of us who are able to kind of tap into that uh, fluidity, the flexibility, that hybrid sense of our of our you know brain functioning, I, I think those are the folks who are going to do quite well in this recovery phase.
0: So we, Started this podcast in the pandemic, and it's April 2022 now. And it does seem, although there's spikes, and you just said there's a you're seeing some spikes in some of the environments that you're working with right now. The mask mandate on planes has just been taken away. It does feel like we are kind of tiptoeing out of this, at least this phase of the pandemic. What are you seeing out there um in terms of what people are experiencing? Uh, you know, in colleges, on campuses, in, in, in real life that that it, it is kind of relating to this phase of life that we're in now?
1: Well, I'll start with the positive, which is that humans are exceptional in terms of their resilience, uh, our ability, not necessarily to bounce back, but to really think critically about what we've gone through and to be open to change and um, to have this endurance, just this Mindset—the strong willingness to to move forward—that uh, is universal. That's what I'm seeing everywhere. And frankly, we do need to talk about the folks that have been hit the hardest with the pandemic. And now we're starting to see the emergence of important studies and findings that demonstrate that impact. And the CDC is helping us see this with their studies around young people, um, particularly high school students, and. Even young folks, as young as eight, nine, ten years old, who are showing signs of stress and anxiety and low mood, and and, and for some, uh, this this sense of being adrift, you know, not not really being sure whether they want to be on this earth. So we're seeing some some increase in suicidal ideation. Overall, this is something that should draw our attention. I, I think this is the time to uh, to really embrace our mental health interventions, our public awareness protocols and strategies, and our community level uh, mental health interventions in order to just address that um, if we're seeing this happening with, with young folks, it may mean that the uh, pandemic holds more than just kind of this, this medical side to it, that there are these psychological mm-hmm. impacts that um, are not even just at the individual level, but at, at this sort of mass level.
0: There was a great piece yesterday in the New York Times about loneliness and a loneliness epidemic being something that was in existence pre-pandemic and has been exacerbated by having to isolate. And it gave the example of New York where um, there was uh, a million people who were living on their own through the, the pandemic, which is, which is a, a huge amount of people just to be solo. As we come out and as you talk about people being in a fragile state people having to have lived through a kind of a a very stressful time what can we do to for ourselves and what can we do in how in terms of how we relate to other people to come out of this in, in the best shape possible
1: well we know that lockdown and quarantine taught us some lessons around the importance of relationships maybe we took it for granted or we just felt that it was natural uh but Truly the ability to connect with others and have interpersonal bonds, uh, that's really healing. We are wired for that. And psychologists highly recommend that in this recovery phase, we harness our ability to be connected socially. And this doesn't mean we have to have tons and tons of friends. Um, That might actually be overwhelming, but have a, a few key people that we can be near, we can connect to, we can be truthful with. And um, even share how we're feeling during this time. I think the other piece too is our relationship with social media and with digital platforms. Uh, this has become incredibly interwoven in our identities and and even in our, our well being. But can have that sharpness to it that other side of the the two edged sword that gives us that sense of um, FOMO, you know, um, this fear of missing out, which young people experience quite a lot. Uh, anxiety and stress due to the twenty-four hour news cycle, intrusive um, updates and notifications that kind of draw our attention. This is a stimulant. So when we talk mm. about the dangers of stimulants, right? When we when we talk about uh, managing how much coffee we drink and 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 how we're managing what's coming in, into our systems, we also want to think about this as a stimulant and that social media. Right in excess can actually be bad for our attention our focus our emotional states and that that um, ability to form boundaries and utilize it in positive ways is is really going to going to be necessary for this recovery
0: but I think it's it it does come back to having a point of view as a as a person as to how you're managing it because um, it's until there is some kind of control put on uh, social media companies in terms of what they can do it's very easy to feel out of control unless you put in some parameters yourself and I think that's the only thing that you can do now to to try and kind of keep a handle on that.
1: Right right and I certainly want to expand our concept of digital platforms to include these newer ones like Zoom and um, some of these these other interactive apps that we're using to to connect with one another on the one hand The goal is to have these face-to-face interactions. On the other hand, a lot of Zoom studies that are currently being released show some dangers to staring at a screen for too long. Um, And again, a a lot of these studies look at young learners, like high school students and college students, people that I work with, who are showing um, that neurobiologically, spending hours and hours staring at a screen actually overloads the brain. And we might think like, well, we're just looking at a screen, how bad could this be? But the brain is actually having to push harder to recognize all the different social cues and signs on the screen. And the compared to maybe an in-person interaction, the amount of work, cognitive, psychological, emotional work that is done in the brain over like a, a simple one-hour Zoom lecture is profound and um, imaging studies do show that these uh, these different brain structures and processes are overloaded, and that is not necessarily healthy for us. So again, coming to your point, what are the boundaries we can put up? How can we have some agency around the uh, exposure we have to these digital platforms, and not toss it away? Uh, how do we really harness the positives that come from these different identities that we have online?
0: And if we've become... Over dependent on some of the digital interaction tools that we have. Do you think we need to relearn some of the in real life communication skills that we probably haven't sharpened as much over the last couple of years? Do you think we need to, do you think there might be kind of a forcing out of the comfort zone in order to get those things going again?
1: Well, for the most part, no, because humans are such social beings. You know, again, we're wired to have interpersonal models in our brains and, and we're already primed to connect to one another. And, and actually that's what made COVID so challenging. It is natural and impulsive, uh, inherent experience to want to reach out to people, to hug them, to be close to them. And throughout the yeah. pandemic, we were doing the opposite. We were teaching ourselves to have a phobia, stay away from each other, um, don't be close, uh, um, even cover our faces. So, so different ways in which we protected our physical health actually did impact our mental health. So the the concept of this is, is actually very positive. It's, it's optimistic. We will likely fall right back into those social interactions and to pick up on those social cues and feel more comfortable again with one another. Um, but it will take some practice. It will take some time. And I, I think, too, I should mention that for folks who already had some anxiety in um, crowded spaces or in interpersonal exchanges that may return as well and 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 that's mm. important to note
0: i think there's something reassuring there that, that we're hardwired for social interaction which i think is is great and i think um going back to the theme of this conversation which is about being a, a kind of in third culture i guess if we are talking to lots of different people the way that we kind of shape which cultures we want to be part of and which ones we don't is through those interactions it's through how we feel in those interactions, it's uh, some of some pieces you can't change who your parents are, but there's everything else you can. And I think there's a kind of really interesting piece there where that's done through lots of different social interactions. So that seems like good homework.
1: It is. And I think it's hard for a lot of us to be in spaces where there are different perspectives and opinions and lifestyles. And, you know, again, time and time again, we learned that, the more we're exposed to differences among cultures and groups, the more we expand our emotional intelligence. The more we can expand our our own mindfulness and and kind of uh, you know learn to elevate ourselves in some ways. When it comes to again, when it comes to our interpersonal repertoire, the thing we all tend to fall back on is this concept of confirmation bias. So it's, I have this attitude, I have this opinion, I have this this perspective, and I'm only going to surround myself with people who think the same way as me. And the result is that you're constantly affirmed, you're constantly mirrored your reality, and it can be stifling, it can be um, narrowing in terms of the way that we are as a society. So that's the little push that I ask people to do. Um, reach out to people you may not normally talk to. If you have a curiosity about a particular uh, event or lifestyle or something that is uh, social in nature, check it out. Um, try to understand other people's hobbies and opinions and perspectives, religions, and um, spiritual attributes and and that's what is going to make us a lot more enlightened in this next uh, few months if not years of this echo pandemic
0: well joe thank you so much as ever it's amazingly insightful to hear your take on things and it helps understand uh how people might be feeling or thinking and most importantly give people kind of tools for optimism so thank you and really enjoyed talking today and look forward to speaking to you soon
1: an honour to have the space with you, Tom. Talk to you soon.
0: Thanks for listening to the Optimist in Progress podcast, brought to you by Optimist Drinks. This podcast is presented by Dr. Drea Lettermendi and me, Tom Johnston. It's produced and researched by Lisa Farr Johnstone, with original music from Reginald Science Perry, and edited by Brian Ward and Aguinia Odell. Email podcast at optimistdrinks.com with any questions or ideas. And follow us at Optimist Drinks on Instagram for updates on upcoming shows.